So we have another new episode for you all today. And Don, we, we got to invite an old friend back to join us for the podcast today. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. It was good to talk to him again. Uh, you know, because usually it just boils down to trading a random email from time to time. And myself, I never get to talk to him very much. So right, good to, right. Good to touch yeah, so base. Our former NAMSA colleague, Dave Parenti, who's now with Ecolab, joined us to talk about two chapters he has in the book, Biocompatibility and Performance of Medical Devices. So we talked about planning and manufacturing primarily, his focus of his chapters and how those affect biological safety. And some Dave has some really great positions on, you know, I love that he uses know your place in the world as a position to, to plan from, you know, what are your risks and, and the common sense around planning. He explained this to me years ago, and really it's been, you know, it's stuck with me ever since. Yeah, almost getting a little philosophical on the world of biocompatibility. He does. He does. <laughs> he certainly does. That's uh, that's definitely one of his skill sets. So uh, we hope you like this episode. We had a lot of fun with Dave. It was good hanging out with him again and uh, had a fun episode of Two Truths and a Lie at the end of this episode, too. So we hope you enjoy it and uh, listen up. Welcome to Biocompatibility, the first ever podcast focused on the biocompatibility of medical devices. NAMSA is happy to bring Biocompatibility to you, where each episode features leading industry experts and their discussions on biocompatibility challenges. Be sure to visit www.namsa.com for more information and to access all podcasts and transcripts. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Biocompatibility. We have another, I'm going to call him an A-list guest, Don. I I, I thought we were over that, you know, ranking. We weren't going to rank our guests. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ranking. I'm ranking. So today we have uh, Dave Parenti joining us. And Dave actually hired me at NAMSA almost 17 years ago. Thanks for that, Dave. Yeah, I tell you, it seems like yesterday. It does. I, I'm just hoping I can remain an A-list guest after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you can. Ooh, we, we, so, yeah. that could, if we're going to do the ranking thing, we could have post-guest rankings, too. Our yeah. post-podcast well, we rankings. Poll. We could put up a poll. Yeah. Rank yeah. this guest. There you go. There I think that's go. a great idea. Invite them pressure. back, yes or no. That sounds like a, a Twitter <laughs> poll that we should link to this whole thing. I think that's a great idea. And, you know, so... And this for me, so I'm sitting with the two people that I've learned pretty much everything I know about biocompatibility. So I guess it's a thank you for that, for both of you guys. And also for all the things that I get wrong, it's also your fault, just so you guys know that. <laughs> so, so your utter state of confusion can be blamed on us when it comes it's to It's either Dave or Dawn that caused it, I'm pretty sure. Like, yeah. 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 It's, no, it's, just, it's cool for me. Both of you guys are mentors to me in this area, so... It's fun to uh, well, I think I lost everything this. when we were on the 33rd floor of that earthquake in Philadelphia. So. <laughs> we have talked about the earthquake episode. <laughs> we have talked a little bit about the earthquake. I think it made oh. my truth or lie. Oh, uh, there you go. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. It almost made mine today till I realized that you already used it and I wasn't there, so I couldn't. You weren't even there. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it's just, it's it's um it's fun. I'm glad that we're we're able to do this. I was able to drive out to, to Dave's home here near Atlanta. He's still 
He's working for Ecolab today, but he still lives in the Atlanta area. So we are able to uh, to be, you know, in person today. And I was able to drive up here to his lovely home in the mountains and and had some memories of years ago when I used to come up here with friends for for long weekends. So it's really beautiful up here. And so perfect setting for a podcast today, Don. Sorry that you can't be here with us, but you're here with us anyway. Well, I'm just up here in Ohio enjoying what's the beginning of the gray season. So, you know, that's just, right. Uh, Lake effect. <laughs> oh, gray season. Yeah. The gray season. All right. So besides Dave being the person that is responsible for me being at NAMSA, and some people will thank you and not thank you for that. Um, I'll give you a, tell you a little bit about him. So he's certainly been, you know, involved in medical devices for a long time. And he started his career at Terumo in Maryland and he was, in the chemical engineering group and he did material qualification and you moved into product engineering and regulatory compliance. And then um, in 1993 is when you came to NAMSA. So that was definitely before me, but um, you were operations manager then of our laboratory here in Georgia when I started in mm-hmm. 2003. And that's when you started NAMSA advisory services, which is NAMSA's first little consulting business that um, where we started doing biological safety consulting. And then I joined that group shortly after that to help launch that group. And it's since grown into, you know, much bigger things, but this is like the the roots of NAS, as we call it, (laughs) NAS Advisory Services. Yeah. The, you know, the interesting thing was I, I did biocompatibility at Terumo, but and we ha- but we had a limited you know with any manufacturer I shouldn't say with any but a lot of manufacturers there's a limited amount of products and with Terumo we were mostly in blood contact for the most part so a lot of our products had the same scenario you know for blood contact so going to NAMSA especially in the, you know my direct field was obviously sterilization back then microbiology so going to there exposed me to a lot of different devices right that was the real key there. And so for a while there, from 1993 to 2003, I didn't do a whole lot of biocompatibility. I I was a senior scientist as part of a senior science group that Paul Upman had put together. And um, so I I did the, um, you know, bio or participated in all of our science activities in that area. And then once we got into NAMPS advisory services, you know, we, I started to do I, I think more thinking about biocompatibility based on my experience in regulatory, based on my experience in quality, and based on a lot of things and, and started making some, you know, just having some thoughts about biocompatibility. And we sort of came up with the idea that you should have a plan for it and that plan should be formal. That ended up being, you know, part of, I mean, it was always part of ISO, but it, it became expounded on with technical reports and things like that. Yeah. So NAMSA back then, I think, was a bit of on the forefront with a lot of, not to, not to say that they're not now, but they definitely are. But, but we were in terms of what you should do, sort of blending biocompatibility with what is good quality and what is good compliance. I think we were on the forefront of talking about the liberals, the deliverables that people should have, you know, when they ventured into this type of testing. Yeah. I mean, I inadvertently quote you all the time when we're at training events, because I reference a sterilization validation, like you don't just jump into a sterilization validation and start doing a bunch of testing. Mm-hmm. There's a protocol, there's a plan, there's a strategy, 
And so the, the thought that years ago, we didn't do that with biocompatibility, we just jumped into these tests really was reactive, which is some of the thing you talk about in the chapters of, of the book, which is part of the reason why we're together here, not just because Don and Dave and I are enjoying the opportunity to sit and chat about biocomp, but Dave has written uh, two chapters in- Yeah, I'm the only uh, two book. chapter person in the book. You're so. the only two <laughs> chapter person in the book. Who, as far as I know, so. Who, who now today, you're global sterilization, so you're not even really directly involved in biocompatibility. No, I'm not. But you much. just have such experience and, and, and knowledge. And so you're you're well-rounded in the in the information and in all different things of, of medical devices, which is one of the reasons I learned so much from you is because you knew so many areas. We um we did these personality tests years ago where it told you what color you were and everybody leads with a certain color. And Dave was literally almost the same with every color. Um, Which you you accused we me. We called of, you being Rainbow Man. That. I remember that. She goes, I think you answered that just so you could do that. It's like, but Sherry, I'm not that bright. But you are. But you are. But yeah, so he's just really like we called him Rainbow Man because he could he could be anything you needed to be. He could be assertive. He could be you know analytical. He could be you know whatever the need might be in in that situation. So he can really you know he's really diverse in his thinking. Oh, yeah. So anyway, you know, the, the chapters of the book sort of I sort of looked at myself. I did a lot of thinking about biocompatibility. I mean, I, I obviously didn't have a lot of exposure to the tests and for that side of biocomp, I, uh, you know, depended a lot on people like Don Pohl. Um, But I, I had a good handle on how regulators would view the test, right. what they wanted what made the most sense in, in, a, in a medical device manufacturer explaining that stuff to a regulator. And so likewise, my two chapters are about dealing with biocompatibility as a manufacturer. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're putting together, one has to do with putting together a plan, the other one has to do with dealing with the manufacturing process and biocompatibility. So I was always more interested in the I guess the way you communicated the testing then and, and the way you presented your testing as opposed to the testing itself. Right. And the book we're referring to were, is, is a second edition that's recently come out of Biocompatibility and Performance of Medical Devices. It was originally published in 2012. And I think this was, you were still with NAMSA kind of when you started writing in them. And then there was a transition to Ecolab. And so you're actually in the book as, as of course, Ecolab, um, but you'd recently moved to Ecolab from NAMSA. And, and Don, you have, um, you know, you and I both have copies of the, of the first edition. So we're going to be talking to several people about the second edition. Yeah. Yeah. Like I say, have the uh, the original version of the book sitting here in front of me, and uh, and and it's kind of interesting. And just in Dave's chapters in the book and the original, and then his updates. You know, when he talks about manufacturing, just from today's world, kind of a segue to the 2018 version of ISO 10993 Part One, and its greater emphasis on you know one of the aspects of biocompatibility which is the effect that manufacturing has on the safety biocompatibility of a device and uh you know again from a namsa perspective because of that and for other things you know our assessments that we write for medical devices now has a whole section devoted to you know the basically the characterization of risk 
the risk associated um, with the manufacturing process used to create a medical device all the way down to the impact of sterilization and and packaging materials on on the safety of the of the final product. So um, I think it's you know again kind of relevant in terms of the the chapter that uh, Dave has updated in the the current version of the of the book. Yeah. yeah. So um, mm-hmm. don't they just give the title? So there's two chapters in the in the book. The first one is making use of a biological safety evaluation plan, which I certainly want to. We certainly want to talk a little bit more about that. And then the second chapter is a chapter on case study of overcoming negative test results during manufacture. And I think that one's extremely interesting to me as well because of the um, the thought of you can think about biocompatibility in manufacturing. And mm-hmm. most folks, I don't think, are, are really doing that. You're thinking about, you know, sterilization maybe during manufacturing, right. but maybe not biocompatibility. So those are the the two chapters and so let's let's talk about the the plan first i think that one's probably maybe the the simpler one i just have i had a few questions on that one and i what i like about what you state in the book is that obviously there's an emphasis on planning in advance and that's that's so important but my challenge in in dealing with manufacturers and folks that you know they're ready to start the testing is why is a plan so hard to do before we're ready to do the testing? Why can't we plan for a plan? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, and, and I think that, you know, especially the old versions of 10993, where you know, nobody read the, uh, the, words. the body of just the standard, the t- they yeah. just went to the table. Yeah. And so everyone just pretty much said, this is a, this is a checklist. This is really, a, it's a standard that boils down to a checklist. Yeah. And, and, and credit to TC-194 and, and the people on it, they, they have slowly, you know, over the past, gosh, you know, probably 10 years or so, transformed Biocomp into what it should be, and that is its risk assessment. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, there are several degrees of risk. And so really when you develop your risk assessments for your, and, and a lot of times these risk assessments are done by product SKU or product family, depending on what you've got, you know, you have to deal with the risk associated with biological safety. Yeah. And so that risk, whatever it says, whether you, whatever tool you've used and whichever way you've summarized it should lead you to, okay, if I have to mitigate this risk and I've stated how I have to mitigate it, and what's my plan for mitigation? Now, if someone is not thinking that way, they may just say, well, my plan's a standard. You know, this is it. My plan is this table. Here's my plan. But the, but the problem is that you have to be, I think, aware that things don't always go according to, you know, I mean, this standard is trying to cover. And, and you know, Don and I, I remember Don going through this before it's covering a huge array of medical products that right. get more and more complex every day. Right. Right. I mean, you look at it. I mean, what if you're covering a, a biological, a tissue-based medical device, you know, versus some, so you really have to think about, you know, if you called a laboratory like NAMSA or, or whoever, and you said, Hey, I need to do biocompatibility. That's your first step towards the plan. Cause you're going to have a conversation with somebody. Right. And you're going to have an understanding of what you have to do or what you have to address at least and how you have to address that 
and, and just taking notes from that conversation and starting to put down building blocks is your beginning of a plan. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you can certainly get help with that plan uh, from your contractor or consultants, whatever you might want to use. So I think, I think that's important because to show that you've pre-planned something in advance means that you're not trying to create a body of work that explains why something didn't quite go right. Right. You're trying to say, this is what we intend. And then you do it and maybe something doesn't go right, but you still, you still have to judge that issue in relationship to your original plan. And I think when you do that, you really can't go wrong. I mean, you had, there's, there are challenges and there are always challenges in this industry. So, but I, but I, I think that that is the best way to communicate your biological safety program right. to a particular regulator. And I find that works equally well with FDA or notified bodies generally. And, 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 and until you like document that plan and, and actually consider, you know, everything that goes into the medical device. I think it's a bit harder to determine essentially true risk as they're related to biocompatibility or safety, as well as like the strengths and weaknesses to the plan that you just are always thinking of executing. I mean, you know, if you don't put it down on paper, it doesn't really exist. It's just something that you're thinking of. So then, you know, there's nothing to say, okay, you know, what are the merits of what you just put down? Or that you're considering in terms of evaluation, you know, and, and again, you can ensure that you're covering everything that standards and guidances and all kinds of things um, tell us to think about so that, that, you know, your plan is much as it can be at the time, all inclusive of what you have in front of you. And then you can move forward from there and, and adjust it as you need to. Like you said, not, not everything is going to go, is always going to go as planned, but, uh, at least you understand why, you know, you, you headed down that path. So if something adverse does appear, you can, again, go back and look at the plan and say, okay, why were we doing that in the first place? Yeah, I think that's a big part of the plan is why are we doing this in the first place? Why are we doing testing? Does, does our, our assessment of the risks of our materials and our processes indicate that testing is the only way we can show that it's safe or... Does our assessment of risk and materials and processes show that we have other ways to address mm -hmm. those endpoints that might not be, you know, biological testing? Yeah, you know, and the funny thing is back in 2003, 2004, when we first started talking about this stuff, we even ran into a lot of confusion with our own laboratory. Right. We're saying, you know, and you remember all that. It's, it's like, uh, this is something we already do for free. And it's like, well, you do, but you don't. You do, but you, you don't. provide information that they could make into a plan, but it takes, you know, that's not necessarily something that everyone's capable of doing. And so what we're trying to do is use that information to actually develop a plan. Right. So, you know, it's like everything, it's like they say with, you know, with the EMPs or QSR or whatever we're talking about. It's the documentation of something that essentially means you've done it or you plan to do it. And if it's not there, then you're sort of flying by the seat of your pants. And yep. that's when regulators have a problem. Right. It's like, well, why did yeah. you do this? They don't understand the yeah. story. And they immediately think you did it to cover something up or to, to try to mitigate a bad result or 
something of that nature. So we had problems with our own, you know, with our own lab um, right. dealing with that. And it's not that, and that's not being critical. They, I, I can certainly understand from their end when you're doing things a certain way and suddenly you say, it, well, maybe we should try something different. It was a big change. It, it was. was. And it still is. I mean, I remember us doing trainings and one of the people in our trainings basically saying, this stuff is crazy. Nobody's ever going to do this. Nobody's ever going to plan this way and do this chemistry testing. Nobody's ever going to do that. And, you know, you, you nailed it kind of on the head earlier, Dave, when you said, you know, we really did kind of trailblaze this mm-hmm. and, and you were leading that effort at NAMSA to trailblaze. How do we change the way that we do the biological evaluation? And a lot of folks are out there today talking about this new approach. And I just have to chuckle inside because I'm like, well, yeah, it was new in 2004, yeah, years old maybe now. 2005, <laughs> but it's not new today. But it's it's just, old enough to drive. So it's old enough go. to drive now. Yeah. It took a long time to turn the, the, the ship around, I guess. Yeah. And I think it's, it's probably one of the things I'm, I'm most proud about at NAMSA was at least you feel good when it's like you're saying, you know, this just makes a lot of sense. And then you put it in practice and it actually works. Yeah. And, and then you find out that some regulators expect it and they like it. They and like it. <laughs> you don't, you know, so it's that whole experience for me was, was good. And it's, you know, it's not unique to biocompatibility. Then, uh-uh. then, you know, it applies to something else and we use it in sterilization, not just with protocols, but master plans and stuff. So, you know, you can take that concept and just use it just about anywhere. And I, and the one thing that I really like about, assessment not that you know just overall the overall need for risk assessment is that it blends so well into all this stuff mm-hmm. and, and to me that's really the way to go and so I'm, I'm real happy with the way things are going right in the biocompatibility area and in other areas so don do you have any i know we're, dave and i are sitting here face to face so we could just chat 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 and not let you get a word <laughs> in edgewise so do you have any any questions about the plan chapter, because I, I do want to go on and, and talk then about the, well, hello, that would be Tucker from the basement saying hello to us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tucker's a cute little basset hound that Dave has up here. So he's he's gonna, he wants to be famous, as famous as our podcast with our 10 listeners that are family and he friends. He wants to be at least a, a B. <laughs> he's yeah. a B. He may not be an A, guest. but he wants to at least it, be yeah. a B. So anyway, Don, you have any, any questions about that chapter before we move on to the manufacturing chapter? I think I think we've kind of uh, you know been discussing everything that I was thinking. Well, most of what I've been thinking of, I, th- I think about a okay. lot of things daily. But you know, anyways. But you know, you know, just one thing that was going through my head when Dave was talking about the emphasis on planning is the the line in ISO ten nine three part one that says you know merely executing all those studies as per the table in Annex A one eight one does not constitute a plan. You know, right. and, 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 and that kind of go, speaks to Dave's point about um, historically, that's what a plan was, you know, was a table. And, and certainly it goes beyond that now. And, and um, just in like the last week, week and a half, I've seen both sides of that from the standpoint of one, one company saying that they wanted to do tests X, Y, and Z, and they thought they had reason for it and i was like well i can understand your reason but remember their test and you know it wasn't really my opinion i didn't think they need needed to do any testing with the information that they had i thought they could evaluate essentially their situation without collecting any new data Mm. and they were like well yeah but we want to collect some data i said okay that's fine what do you do if you know if for some 
bizarre reason, the data don't tell you what you expect them to tell you. You know, what if it fails? You know, okay, did you identify a risk? That's good. But what if it fails for kind of like an invalid reason or something like that? And then you have data that you have to deal with. And and then on the other side, you know, company had done cytotox sensitization, irritation, and acute systemic tox testing on an EO sterilized device. It just so happened the device they tested for irritation uh -oh. wasn't sterilized and it just oh. so happens they used <laughs> eo sterilization and they were like I, we think we can justify that with the results from the other studies and it's like well it's like the one test that i would really want sterilized sample on right <laughs> it's, it's a known irritant right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so so you know you, you you start seeing these things where you just have a collection of studies without necessarily a defined reason to back them up and and then likewise no evaluation of them and again it, it just all speaks to the importance of a plan mm -hmm. both for new devices i guess that's the other thing is is i look at it as this continuum you know of of evaluation plan plan evaluate plan evaluate over the course of the lifetime of a device cuz something's going to change and you're going to have to do this continually so, you know, not just at the beginning. So anyhow. I think that's a great segue into the next chapter because Dave, in, in the chapter about, you know, overcoming negative risk in manufacturing. So you talk about knowing your place in the world, which I love. And I want to talk about that a little bit. But, and, and that reminds me of what you used to say years ago is that every device doesn't fit on this table Correct. and and that you can't fit every device into the table. And that sticks with me still today where we're, when we're talking to folks about, yeah, you can't figure out how to assess it based on this table because it doesn't fit. Mm. So, but but Don, you mentioned it being ongoing. And so Dave, you talk about in this next chapter about the feedback loop mechanism of the activity of biological safety being an active instead of reactive. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you base your biological safety only on testing, then you're reactive. But okay. if you think about it in this regard as to where you are, and what's going on, then you have an active feed loop, feedback loop of, of information. Correct. So the whole active versus reactive situation, um, if you truly understand what risks your device introduces during its intended use, then that's, that is a, an active means of approaching biocompatibility. So if I understand how the device is made. And, and here's where chemical characterization comes in. If I understand what the makeup of that characterization is. Now, when I say that too, chemical characterization, I'm not immediately going to testing. I'm looking right. at what's available for the polymer or whatever we're talking about material that we're looking at, what information is already available. And, mm -hmm. and, and with a little digging, you can get quite a bit of information. And I'm also looking at what's information available in literature, and then perhaps some testing, depending on what I'm finding out. You know, you don't want to test polypropylene for the 200th time necessarily, but if there's an additive in there that's clarifying it or doing something, then you may want to pay attention to that. So the, the bottom line is, is that when you put it together in that frame of mind, and when you put it together knowing what you're making it up and then add to that how you're going to manufacture it you're proactively addressing biocompatibility because you can almost look and see what might give you trouble what might not give you trouble and and have a feel for what 
how your biocompatibility is, is going to work out. Mm -hmm. When you test, you, you go backwards. You say, oh, I just got a bad result. Now I got to figure out what happened. Well, right. you had the potential to figure out what happened when you put the product together. So I understand that in, in this day and age, you know, where God, you almost need superhumans to do the job anymore. I mean, you're just in, inundated with information and inundated with requests and it's difficult. I know it's hard to, to, to be proactive about things because sometimes you intend to be proactive and all of a sudden you're reactive because it's three weeks later. And it's like, where did that go? Right. But it does help quite a bit. It's much easier in advance to figure out where your risks are than it is once you've failed mm. figuring out what caused the problem. So, and in a perfect world, that would be nice and neat. Doesn't always happen that way. But if you if you're able, even if you're able to, maybe you do get surprised with a result. Even if you know that product material-wise, and you can provide that information to your laboratory or whoever's working with you, it makes it much more easier to troubleshoot. So you know that's that's pretty much you know, it's, it's things like that that are in these chapters, the whole reactor, then know your place in the world, and things like that, because those things are real human issues. You know, they're, they're human yep. issues. And, and so I think that that we, we usually don't see that being written by, by toxicologists, you know, so, <laughs> which is why, you know, these chapters are probably a little different than the usual run of the mill. Stuff. Yeah. 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 I think too, you know, in, in that approach, you know, so that you're not just reacting to the data that you collect. I mean, by being proactive, you also, I mean, you give yourself the benefit for, the experience and knowledge that you may have acquired over the years as an organization as well. Mm -hmm. So, you, I mean, you mentioned polypropylene, but likewise, it could be the manufacturing process that you use to create that device that's made out of polypropylene. It's like, look, we've used this same process, you know, the same sterilization technique coupled with this process and this material for 20 years. And here's everything we know about it rather than just saying, okay, yeah, we know all this, but we're just going to test it again, just because. Yeah. Even FDA's guidance, biocompatibility guidance, you know, it it re refers to wanting to not do testing unnecessarily. And so, you know, I mean, if we want to avoid that, well, we better say why we feel we're justified in doing what we're going to do or not do. You know, and I think that's key. Yeah, you know, and and I think. You know, I get a good example in my own company of uh, why a plan is so important. We have probably globally a thousand SKUs. Wow. So when you have that many SKUs and your first thought is that you're going to do biocompatibility per device, <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen, right? Cha-ching! Yeah. yeah. So, so even if they are simpler devices that maybe only require the, the, the as they call the big three or uh, you CSI. Guys have, CSI. There you go. I knew you guys had a word for that. Right? So we learned that one from the FDA. We, they shocked really? us with that one one time. CSI. I'm like, what is CSI? I'm like, oh, that's yeah, nice. They have to see they have a sense of humor. So anyway. <laughs> Let me uh, know about that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but anyway. Just know, an acronym. Yeah. Just an acronym. <laughs> just an acronym. Don't overdo it. Don't yeah. <laughs> make any assumptions. <laughs> But anyway, you know, it's, um, I don't know, it seems, you know, obviously when we 
go into biocompatibility, we have to plan for that. Right. You can't just say, you know, if we're going to, and our biocomp tends to be material-based, yep. but then we have to be very careful of manufacturing. So you, you have to introduce the plan technique. Yep. You know, and we used a representative product approach is how we did it, but we had to explain all that. Tell your story. Uh, yeah, you had to tell the story. So that has been, you know, very rare, I think, normally for, unless you're a new manufacturer, usually your biocomp comes into more scrutiny as a submission than it does in compliance. And we haven't had FDA look at those things, but we have had notified bodies look at that. And mm-hmm. the plan pretty much, you know, explain everything for us. So I think that's, that's what people have to understand too. You don't, you know, the, the ISO document's very pristine. It's very not necessarily real world. It, it almost makes it seem like here you are, you know, your nice little company making this one product that you now have to deal with. And mm-hmm. that's not the way it works. So, so and you want to leverage what you know from the other products. Do too. you ever get involved or, or did you, I know you're not involved as much in the biocomp with Ecolab today, but when they were doing something new, did they ever say, Hey, we have these two materials we're trying to decide between. Can you give us some thoughts on which one might be better? Like, we get questions all the time from folks that are going, how do I, so if I want to overcome negative results during manufacturing, meaning I want to choose better materials, mm-hmm. what kind of measure helps me do that? So, what would so you do? typically, typically, you know, they always would want to go back to the favorite, you know, whatever they had made the last. Of sure. Place, okay. Right. That's great. Yep. But the, but the thing that was always missed upon, particularly by engineers and Sometimes with engineering, and this will probably get all letters from engineers out there. So sorry about this. But uh, I don't think in our ten listeners we have that many engineers yet. But we'll, we'll maybe get there. <laughs> but I, you know, it's uh, you know, there's this whole. I mean, the hardest question you can sometimes ask somebody like that is, "What's the intended use of this material?" Yeah. And it's well, it's going to protect this. Yeah. And what's this? And who touches it? And who deals with it? And does it make patient contact? And is it an adult or a is child? It, is it an adult? Is it, yeah. is it child? You know, so so those kinds of yeah. So just because the material worked for X, if the intended use changes, then you, there's less you can leverage. So uh, so typically they would go to an old, to an old favorite. Now we also make you know we also do OEM work for other customers, and in that case the the customer may have their own. They may have made decisions about the types of materials they have in that case. And then it could be a case where they're taking care of biocomp or it could be a case where we're taking care of biocomp. So, so, you know, that's, that's the way it, uh, yeah, you always have to make those decisions and then go back and say, here's what you're doing and here's what's good and here's what's bad. And it's your call, but understand what we have to do regarding depending on how, what choices you make. So. And you know, that that's, one of the challenges from, you know, being at NAMSA and that side is, is, you know, putting a plan together and being able to convey to, you know, our customer base, the strengths and weaknesses to the plan we just put in front of them. Because, I mean, especially with biocompatibility, once you get into a situation, there's usually about, you know, 15 different ways you could address a quote unquote situation. And Mm -hmm. You know, from our from our side, it's like, okay, this seems perfectly reasonable and and you know, you understand because you know, you wrote the plan, what's behind that plan and the assumptions that you may have thought of, but not necessarily always stated on paper. 
and then you know you're expecting a a, a company to agree <laughs> with the plan that you just put down maybe not understanding the level of uh risk that you might have just put in front of them so uh, you know it's always always a challenge i would say to make sure that everybody that's involved everybody that's responsible from both both sides you know understands what's in front of them and what what is reflected in the plan that they're signing at the end of the day because if you know if you're just saying yep i agree with them i i trust them and you don't realize that you know there's a certain amount of maybe not true risk to patient but regulatory risk sitting behind that plan then you know that might not put you in such a nice spot or as good of a spot as what you thought you might have been in i think the essence here is is just so important to to think about these things earlier. I you know, I'm I'm often saying to folks you can never think about biocompatibility too early. Mm-hmm. But in a, in essence most people think about it too late. And um you know that the you know ultimately our jobs are to get safe devices to people. We don't want to harm them. This mm-hmm. is the one of the main ways, right? Besides functional making sure it does what it's supposed to. This is one of the main ways we're trying to determine that these devices are safe and to not know what those materials are or what those chemicals are that might be coming out of it. That still just baffles me that we've actually had experiences where it's like, I don't know, and I'm not really concerned, but as long as it doesn't cause a positive reaction and sensitization, I don't care. You know, it's still... The importance of knowing that information mm-hmm. up front. So, mm-hmm. and you mentioned, so I love this part in, in this chapter on the, on the negative results and the, the know your place in the world. You're like, on the most basic level, we work in the medical device industry. Our products improve the public health. They're regulated by government agencies and other regulatory bodies, such that the right of law or privilege to access markets only belong to those who indeed know their place in the world and to understand the critical nature of manufacturing such products. I mean, that is basis of what we do. Correct. It is. And, 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 you know, I think I, I go on to talk about that too, in terms of the criticality of your products. If you make a life-saving device and you make a device that has an intended use, that's very invasive, then a lot more is going to be demanded of you. You know, you have to understand because you're in that market, you have to understand that because you're in this spot in the world of medical devices, that you have to do a good job of planning, executing, and reporting what you've done in biocompatibility. Now, in our case, where we make, you know, let's say a, a monitor cover you know, or something yeah. like that, it's, you know, <laughs> there, there's, there's far, I mean, there's, there's certainly a, a need to perform the testing, but there isn't a heightened concern about that device. Uh, because it's a common device. It's not a device that typically is going to give problems with patients and things of that nature. So there's a lot less um, scrutiny on the work that you're doing. And so, yeah, maybe for if you're making those kinds of devices, very low, low risk devices, there are some steps you might be able to, to skip or do something directly. But if you're making critical stuff or you're on the forefront of new products, you've got to really pay attention to this stuff because you're going to come under a lot of scrutiny and you're going to be frustrated that regulators don't understand what you're trying to say. And 
The reason is is that you really haven't said it in the proper way. You you have to be able to plan and document ahead every step you're doing, whether that's biocompatibility, whether it's sterilization, whether it's product function, whether it's aging, whatever it might have to be, you have to look at the special requirements of your product and be able to sell that you've done the, the right job for that particular product. So that's that's the whole aspect of understanding where you sit in the medical device world. You know, if you if you understand that, then you certainly uh, have a better idea of how you're going to approach what you need to do. And I, I think that then can also kind of like segue into you know the the ending, if you will, or at least part of the ending of your your assessment of your plan is is that. You know, you put all this together with this concept of risk benefit being thought of as well. You know, the, the the benefit of the product that you're evaluating, the risk associated with it, and and which way is the scale tipping? You know, in terms of the risk and benefit. You know, and I know that for for some, you know, there's always been that request to have a really nice quantitative way of documenting that when it comes to biocompatibility. And I, I mean, I've, I've certainly seen it attempted kind of going back to your, uh, your, your engineer reference there, Dave, where engineers want to throw numbers to uh, biocomp in terms of, you know, I say this equates to uh, a ranking of four when it comes to biocompatibility or, or something like that so that mm-hmm. they can at the end say, look, the, the benefit does outweigh the risk oh, because yeah. the number came out high, you know, but right. uh, you know, I haven't necessarily seen that done really effectively, but, yeah, um, yeah, it, it, yeah. you know, that, that conclusion, I, I think is one, I, I would say aspect of, of knowing your place in the world in terms yeah. of the benefit that you bring as compared to the risk. Yeah. I think the other thing too, is, is something I remember I should have wrote it in here, but I don't think I did, but <laughs> is, um, would you rather have an discussion or slash argument with a regulator about your plan or about your results? Mm. Right? Certainly. That's a great question. That's a great question. Certainly about your plan because you've already spent a whole lot of money on those results. I need to put that into my discovery questions for our sales team (laughs) or when they're selling the plan. Because that's a great great question. It kind of speaks (laughs) to the FDA's pre-sub process sure. yeah you know right. in today's yeah. world we want we want effective submissions so let's discuss them before you submit <laughs> rather than correct. you know correct and i mean that's where you want the you know and that's an important discussion by all means you don't want to just punt your plan discussion you want right. to be able to get things that in a way that makes sense to you because nobody knows the product as well as you do but at the same time having it afterwards you know it's it, that's like it's like going to a settlement on your house and suddenly somebody's saying, oh, you know, we haven't talked about everything that's wrong with the house. <laughs> right. and, you know, so, so here's all the things we want you to fix. So, well, again, I don't know today. if we can settle today. Yeah, right? Right? You know, so it's the same kind of thing. It's Dave just, says it, that because I'm trying to sell my house right now. I think he's <laughs> looking at me like, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, no. I just went through it. Though. Yeah, you just went through it. We've I had this discussion. Spring. But anyway, it's, uh, <laughs> but it's the same kind of thing. You, you don't want, and then people get mad. They get angry. It's like, why is FDA doing this to me? Yeah. It's like, 
Well, it's their job, but there are things you can do to make the blow a little softer. It still may not go your way, but at least, you know, beforehand. So, you know, I think that's those kinds of things are just, yeah, they can be common sense. But at the same time, when we're all trying to get so much done in such a quick time, it just requires a lot of advanced planning. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys, and here's me like going off on on the book, but there's a book out there, the Checklist Manifesto. I don't know uh-uh. if you guys have read that, but it's written by a, a medical doctor, by a surgeon, I believe. And he talks about how checklists are saving like the medical profession because there's so many mistakes made because even though they do things over and over and over again, they right. don't necessarily, um, once once they, they put this checklist in the place, then, you know, and the checklist isn't like a, a biocomp table or anything it's more about you know did you do this decide did you this, do that? Decide, make this oh, decision make this, decision. Make this okay. you know ask these questions ask these questions you know so um and you know gave some great examples so uh, you know i think that that's and that's essentially you know when you when it comes to building something you know i mean a lot of these things have common ground but you still have to ask these questions of yourself and get this information together so that you can build it. And I thought that was a great book. Again, it's written for general purposes, uh, tends to head, lean on the medical profession a lot, but it's just a great book for just life because it's true. There are some things that you can really automate. Right. It's like, okay, I don't have to think, right? We all get that decision fatigue or whatever, but yeah, you know, I don't have to think here it is. I'll just go through this and you know, I can make something easier. And I think that's something that, when we develop plans and a plan could lead to a checklist. Sure. Now that you've made a plan, right. Here's your checklist for getting it implemented. Right. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Don, you have any other questions or is it time for two truths and a lie? Oh, let's, let's roll into two truths and a lie. Two truths and a lie. All right. So Dave, we warned you in advance. Mm -hmm. We've asked most of our guests, we've given a few folks exemptions, but you did not get an exemption. So we are, we play a game called True Truths and a Lie, and we try to make it around our our experiences and time and working with biocompatibility. Mm-hmm. So we state what those are, and then the other folks try to guess which ones are the truths and the lie. Don, you want to go first today? Oh, sure. Why not? Okay. Why not? I, I think it's going to be obvious, but then again, you know. <laughs> All right. So these are, uh, uh, again, one lie and two truths, like statements. Things I heard either while presenting or just talking about biocompatibility and, and one of them. You heard or said or both? Both. It could be either one. Okay. It, okay. Either one. Either one. I just want I to get clarification. Okay. The first okay. one looks. Yeah. So here's, here's the first one. You got to figure out true or not. Statement was that's actually a, a boat tailed grackle that we just heard outside. <laughs> okay. Just got to know what a boat-tailed grackle is, but right. if you don't, whatever. It's a bird. It's a bird. Figured it might be a bird. <laughs> I'm trying to get the relationship to biocompatibility, but that's okay. I'm guessing it's because was I was I was I was training. Yeah, he was training ah, and heard a bird. Okay, okay. Yep. so that one I think is probably true, but we're not supposed to guess yet. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ISO ten nine nine three part twelve boils down to simple polymer kinetics. At the end of the day. <laughs> okay. Again, yeah, you know, there's all kinds of either heard or here. said. Yep, go yep, ahead. Yep, yep. And the last one. Make sure you're sitting down for this, both of you. Mercury is just like water. 
Somehow I think you saved these for me, Doug. <laughs> he did. <laughs> All right. So one of these is actually a lie that it wasn't said. Correct. Correct. One but of these was not said. It wasn't said. Well, then I have to go with the bird because I know the other two have been said. Yeah, the other two were <laughs> said. I, although I was trying to remember if it was part twelve or not. So, oh, uh, I, I might have spun that a little bit. I'll okay. give you that. But it was about part twelve. It was Civil the ratios in part. Oh, the ratios in part twelve. And okay, yeah. it was the ratio. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm going with one is the lie. Even though you would say that if you heard it, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it was actually it, it was actually a great tailed grackle that we heard outside, <laughs> not a boat tailed grackle that we heard outside. Did you you knew it, right, Dave? Uh well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I knew it was either like an anchor or a bird. Uh, <laughs> so. All right, I'll go next. So these are in my experiences with biocompatibility. I have learned that aspirin is actually more toxic than alcohol on a dose level, right? That's number one. Number two, I've had the opportunity to discuss biocomp one-on-one with a a large global regulatory leader while eating shark soup. And number three, I heard uh, someone state that the reason uh, someone would choose an AIMS assay versus a micronucleus assay is because Ames uses bacteria, and bacteria has no soul. I know number three is right. <laughs> I know. I know number two. It has to be number one. Is it number one? It is not. It is not. Don, you knew, right? The sharks too. Is- well, I, I I think it's a technicality. It's a technicality because <laughs> I did not eat the shark soup. I took one bite and was gagging so hard to just get that one bite down that I did not eat the shark soup. But I did. And and, have, and be have it Gibson. fair that Dawn ate the shark soup. Did you? I did. But be it fair that it, we were told it was like fake shark soup. I so. still don't think he, that was the truth. I think, I think he was telling that soup. we were in Malaysia. I think he was telling that to make us feel better. I believe it really was shark fin soup. Well, it, it was technically, I mean, it was shark fin soup. So Yeah, that's what yeah, that's was, what it is. It's not so much that it's shark soup. It's that <laughs> somewhere as you're sipping, they'll introduce the fact that it's shark jaw or shark gonads or something <laughs> of that nature and you know then you're suddenly like you know okay regardless, regardless i could not of the species swallow it. i'm not, not dealing it. with this body part so i could not swallow it and yeah. i could not spit it out in front of the regulatory leader of biocompatible of, of the malaysian fda so um got it that was that experience none uh, truth is truer, th- funnier than fiction there. So, all right, Dave, what do you got for us? All right, so here's my three. Okay. Not as entertaining, I might add. But we'll <laughs> so I have done a pyrogen test, an in vivo pyrogen test, and received a systemic toxicity result. So that's the first one. Like material mediated? You've actually had? I've actually had okay. a result of... The Fever systemic cream. tox result as opposed to a pyrogenic result. Okay. So hmm. I'm putting that in a mild manner. Don, okay. Don maybe pick me up on that. Okay. <laughs> uh, the second one is that I have personally done a mouth safety test. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and the third one is that I once had to arrange for cytotoxicity testing using a method from Saudi Arabia. Wow. See, I could believe all three of them. I could too. Um, I'm going to say third. The th- number three is a lie. Number three is a lie. Um, I'm going to go with number three being the lie as well. You guys are good. <laughs> <laughs> there might be a Saudi method out there, but I'm there not probably sure is. What it is. Well, we know we had a, a Saudi, a memorable Saudi training. You remember that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that I've talked about many times, and I've talked to his colleagues as well. I've I met his colleagues. Never knew of a Saudi that liked tequila that much. Well, but he, he really <laughs> loved his tequila. So anyway. <laughs> and uh, yeah, a lot of things. Yeah, so, he did. Anyway, excellent. Lots of fun. Thank you. And uh, maybe off the record, you can tell us uh, about number one, um, because that's probably not (laughs) recording. (laughs) Yeah, it was was definitely a... But I'm curious. I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. So thank you so much for joining us, Dave. We appreciate you spending time with us. Thank you to Ecolab for allowing you to uh, join the NAMSA podcast. We appreciate the the, um, understanding and that uh, you're part of NAMSA no matter where you go. And thank you, John. I think we're good for another episode. I think so. I think so. Chalk it up to another one complete, and you know we'll we'll move on from here. But thanks for your time, Dave and Sherry. It was no, good to I talk to both it. of you. Yeah, I enjoyed it. So, if you ever uh, want to come back again, we can find something to talk about. I'm oh sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Maybe I'll be printing a book retraction at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you can invite me for that. So. Well, hopefully not. <laughs> Plans right. are rubbish. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone. <laughs> thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy biocompatibility, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast store. For free resources and material, remember to visit www.namsa.com slash resources slash podcast. 